Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Today we speak with Mark Selby. He's the CEO of Canada Nickel Corp. He's also a nickel market commentator for our weekly catch-up in the world of nickel. This week, price of nickel goes up yet again, as does the price of copper. So base metal's doing quite well. We cover off the other uses for nickel. We've talked previously about the EV uh, market growing uh, and last week stainless steel. But we also have to uh, consider high nickel alloys, alloy steel and plating and wonder where those markets are going. We look at the TSX versus ASX markets for nickel and why they are different, uh, historical and moving forward, plus some industry news. Centaurus have announced some quite good numbers. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, Mark. How are you doing, sir? Good, Matthew. Good to see you again. That's, uh, that's a nice setting in the background. You're up at the cottage, are you? I am at the cottage, yep. That's uh, one of the benefits of living in a country where you have 3 million square miles and only 35 million people is, is there's actual land that's not too far away from the city where you can be on a lake and uh, be able to get out, and particularly in COVID times, it's uh, pretty spaced out here, so it uh, is a nice place to have to quarantine from time to time. Very so. nice. So are you, you're on a lake rather than up a mountain then, is that right? Yes, yes. Yeah, no, once you get a little bit north of uh, Toronto and on to, uh, you know, geologically, which is the Canadian Shield, we literally have tens of thousands of lakes, I think, we have something like 30% of the world's fresh water um, in, in the country. So, um, yeah. Right. So lots of few, very few people, lots of little lakes means you get to get a place on a lake. Crikey. So, which is you know, rare around the world. I'll, so. be, I'll be a fresh water. I'll be applying for my Canadian passport at this rate. Um, well, look, we're, we're here for a weekly catch up on the world of nickel, uh, which from what we're seeing, it's yes. starting to hot up somewhat. We've, we've talked, you know, in the past few weeks about a little bit of M&A. We can do a little bit of market update in a second, but um, I got, I'm going to have to call you out two weeks in a row, buddy. Price. Nickel. I know. Um, fabulously wrong twice. This, you know, it might be all over <laughs> after today. So, you know, after, you know, again, fundamentally, um, you know, I didn't see anything that would suggest the market was going to move higher, you know, and thought we were going to trade sideways for most of the balance of this year until... You know the e sort of e, you know EVs really started to rebound through, but um, um, yet again um, the world of momentum trading has has pushed nickel was up another five to ten cents this morning. I haven't quite seen where it is, so we're doing six oh five, six ten a pound, or you know up to thirteen thousand, uh, you know four hundred, thirteen thousand five hundred range. So well above sort of that key six dollar pound threshold. Um, it wasn't the Chinese exchange uh, this week. It was, again, sort of signs that you've got macro money pouring into the space. You know, the price of copper has gone up um, 15 cents a pound since we talked, um, you know, 300 plus a ton uh, since we talked last week and, and is closing in on the $3 a pound level. So, you know, it's been trading right now around $6,500 a ton. Um, this is up above where it was pre-COVID. Um, we were 5% higher than we were pre-COVID. And it's been nearly two years since copper has been back to a three dollar pound level. So again, if you want some confirmation that there's, you know, we've got a strong Chinese rebound coming, we've got macro money coming into the sector. You know, copper has the added um, sort of overlay that um, COVID's really having an impact on production in Chile and Peru. Um, so there, you've got you've got a, some additional supply concerns mixed in mixed in with it, which is why you know it's trading up above where it was uh, pre-COVID. And again, as copper is one of the big LME metals, it helps you know 
put some upward pressure on, on all the LME metals, which I think, you know, benefited uh, nickel during the past week. So we'll see. Ho- <laughs> Hopefully next week, I, you know, um, you know, it's good to be wrong in this direction. But but again, I, I just don't see on a fundamental basis that that we're going to see these things sustained. Um, you know, un- unfortunately sustained for the next, you know, until we get closer to year end. It's, it's interesting you say that because we've been talking to a few companies, um, gold companies who are now, you know, yeah. washing themselves with cash because of the, the gold price. But they're looking yeah. at copper as a hedge to their, their gold investments, which I thought was an interesting take on, you know, things that could influence, you know, things like the copper price, which in turn puts, you know, upward momentum on things like nickel and all the other kind of base metals. What were we worried about? This COVID, this COVID thing was meant to knock the market for six, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it, it has. But again, you're getting the, re, you know, sort of the reflation trade happening. So, you know, we're seeing it first here in China in terms of, you know, them pouring money into the sector, which is, is, is you know, in turn flowing into commodities as, you know, again, China's doing fixed asset investment to help, you know, sort of boost their economy. Uh, you know, I think we've you know discussed before, I think what we'll see in the West and, and again, Korea kind of joined the party this week with this sort of a new Korean New Deal, um, you know, again, which is along, along the lines of, you know, companies want, you know, country countries want to get their, um, you know, people working again, their economies growing and, and in the process help quote, reshape, you know, their economy to more of what they think they should look at in the future. So, um, and again, you know, there were some other sort of electric vehicle infrastructure, electric vehicle benefits there that, you know, again, not today, but, you know, over the next few years should should help benefit, um, you know, the metal sector, you know, particularly um, for all those metals that are involved in that whole infrastructure uh, chain. Yeah. And then we, and again, it's just going over a conversation we, we did have previously, which was about, you know, it's all well and good, these people are producing stuff, but the West has got to buy it. And if we don't buy it, then producing it is is uh, not going to matter for Toffee, really. You know, um, they're going to stop producing it because we've stopped buying it, and that that cycle slows. You know, it's a downwards spiral from there, isn't it? So, what are you saying? You said you said earlier it's going to have a little reset. It's it's, it's popping up now, but it's going to have a little reset. Um, when and what's that look like? Yeah, no, I think um, you know I, again, you know, to prevent that sort of the this recovery stalling, you're just going to see governments continuing to throw stimulus and throw stimulus um, at it to err on the side of, 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 you know, overshooting rather than undershooting. Because again, once you, once you lose your momentum and, and you start to stall again, which we, we saw multiple times in Japan over the last 30 years, um, you know, that, you know, again, I think the governments will err on the, on the, the side of overstimulating the economy versus understimulating again you know that's why gold is close to all-time highs because you know to 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 do that the governments are going to be printing lots of money which you know should should um, be good for gold gold's one metal i I will never um will never ever forecast but you know coming back in terms of sort of that natural hedge you know in my past life at rnc part of the reason you know we like beta hunt was because it was a nickel and a gold mine so you had you know you had you know, there's one operation where, you know, again, they're, they're not completely anti-cyclical, but you do get some natural hedging between both of those, um, um, be- between those those commodities, which again, just helps, should help your cash flow be a little less volatile than it otherwise would be, which investors tend to like based on what they tell me, so. Yeah, interesting. Well, look, um, we're here for, this is an educational series, okay? We're trying to learn about yep. the nickel market. We're trying to understand 
what it's used for, um, you know, what the future could look like. So you're, you're, you're helping us with that. So in the past couple of weeks, we've looked at the EV thematic and why nickel's important to that. We've also last week realized that actually stainless steel is a much bigger component uh, for, for nickel. But there's still more. There's a few more uses, and it might be worth covering those off. So why don't you sort of, sort of skip us through some of the other uses that perhaps most people aren't aware of? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think to date, you know, again, you know, EV is the future and the stainless is the as is and two thirds of nickel consumption now is stainless steel. Five um, percent or so is, is is the EV market. And that's going to grow very, very substantially over the next 15 years. But, you know, there's about 30 percent of the current uses, um, which, you know, which have a sort of fairly diverse set of uses. And they're each roughly sort of 10 ish percent um, each. So the, the first one. Um, and this has been a you know a very sort of strong source of growth um, long term is with sort of category called high nickel alloys, and so you know in 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 stainless steel you use about eight percent the main nickel um, stainless steel uses about eight percent nickel. In high nickel alloys, you're looking to use uh, materials where you've got 15, 20, 25, 30, 50, 60, 70 percent nickel in them, and again you're you're alloying them with things like cobalt and um, molybdenum and chromium and iron. And what you're trying to achieve is, you know, a set of properties um, in terms of strength and in terms of being able to have strength at very high temperatures, be able to stand a lot of pressure, uh, be be super, super corrosion resistant. Um, and in some cases, you know, have some certain magnetic properties because, um, you know, those there. So, you know, that's what, you know, high nickel alloys are. So anytime you're sitting in a jet airplane and you look out the window, you know, those jet engines next to you, you know, have a couple tons of nickel in them because those nickel alloys are the, you know, the most durable alloys for use, you know, in those type of applications. Obviously, that's a good source of, historically, it's been a great source of demand um, because, you know, um, you know, airline lines aren't going to change their, the, the, the alloys they use to save $2. Um, you know, you know, it's a pretty extensive permitting process to permit an engine and permit the materials that can be used in an engine. So that's always been a very sort of, um, non-price sensitive source of, of demand for nickel obviously with um <laughs> with covid and the collapse in travel you know that's going to you know that you know that sector has been really hit hard over the last uh last four or five months another area where those go into is in oil and gas so uh, again you know both of those areas so high nickel alloys for the last 10 years has been a sort of pretty strong robust source of growth and is actually going through a lot of pain i know one of your t talkers talked about the cobalt market and talked about sort of the world of paying cobalt in um, and because again, cobalt is, is commonly alloyed with nickel in these types of applications. So, um, except it's a much bigger part of the cobalt market than it is the nickel market. So, you know, that's why cobalt is getting disproportionately hit there. So that that's one sector, high nickel alloys. Uh, the next one is alloy steel. And so again, this is areas where um, you're not necessarily creating stainless steel um, per se, but you're looking to throw a, a few percentage points or again, up to 10 or 20% of nickel um, to get some specific properties. Again, just make it a little stronger, um, you know, a, a little more, um, uh, uh, it, it won't, there's one common uh, alloy that doesn't um, change size based on temperature very much. Uh, and again, places where you want it, things to be a little magnetic. So, you know, they mix a little nickel in. So again, that group of applications is roughly 10% of the market. And, and the last sector, which has kind of been shrinking over time is, is the plating market. Um, you know, that used to be a super big um, application back in the 60s uh, and 70s, um, and is, you know, sort of moved around the world um, in different locations as, um, you know, plating is not necessarily the most environmentally sensitive process. 
Um, so it's unfortunately migrated to places that have the lowest regulation from time to time. Um, but, you know, again, if you think of, you know, big cars from the 1960s with great big chrome plated bumpers, you know, even though they're called chrome plated, um, you know, with that plating is actually a, a series of layers of chrome and nickel, um, which make it um, resistant to to uh, rust. And so things like shopping carts and all kinds of things, wherever you saw chrome plating, you know, there is a little bit of nickel in that uh, application. Now, with the big spike in nickel prices we saw back in the mid 2000s, um, you know, people really don't care whether their shopping cart is chrome plated. Um, and so, you know, those applications, um, tended to get shifted over to to other non-nickel uses at that time. So now most most shopping carts are basically coated with some sort of plastic or other sort of non-metal um, uh, coating um, to be able to sort of make them, uh, you know, corrosion resist, you know, sort of corrosion resistant enough for the underlying iron um, that they're made of. And so again, this is, you know, an application that's kind of five or 10% of the market. So, you know, they're there, they're, 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 you know, they're not the the big story, but you know they continue to have from time to time influences in terms of of, of where metal demand is going. So it was, I thought it'd be good just to sort of round out, so you now have the entire hundred percent of the demand pie. That's fantastic. But people are looking to obviously stainless steel actually spring last week. It's huge. That's not going to change anytime soon. Um, and the the market we've just talked about today would be you know high nickel alloy and alloy steel and plating. That's not a growing sector uh, as such. The growth demand is all coming from EV. Yeah, that's correct. And, and and again, right now, you know, the 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 high nickel alloy sector, because of its dependence on air, you know, aircraft and, and oil and gas has been a sort of a drag on overall demand growth over the last, you know, six to 12 months. Right. OK, that, that's interesting. I mean, that does kind of help us understand, you know, where nickel is, is being used. And there's no kind of new applications for nickel. Nickel's just looking 100 percent at EV and saying that's where we want to play. Yeah, for sure. That's the current um you know, big, big source of new demand. You know, one little one-off piece, there was some, uh, there were some stories this week where um, people had patented a nickel-coated nickel air filter, or not nickel-coated, sorry, a nickel alloy air filter, um, where um, you basically sort of, you know, put it into uh, air, you know, sort of air-conditioned air circulation units um, in, in commercial buildings. And so um, as the air gets pulled through, uh, they basically zap the, the COVID viruses that are in the air. And the reason they're using nickel is you can heat up this filter um, so that it, you know, gets hot enough that if the COVID touches it, it kills it. Um, and, and the, you know, a lot of metals, if you heat them up, it causes them to corrode more quickly. In this case, the nickel prevents them from corroding too quickly. So we'll see whether that becomes a, an application, you know, you know, but it was sort of an interesting, you know, uh, just to highlight sort of, Nickel, nickel has a lot of properties that make it very, very widely used um, in a bunch of different applications. That, that, okay, I, I'm, I'm not going to follow up on that one because that's every, everyone is trying to come up with a way that they can get on, to, um, on the COVID bandwagon for funding. Um, yes. So I, I, I'm yeah. not, the headline won't be nickel, nickel cures COVID. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's, although that, I mean, but it is, it is kind of amazing because I think we also had a guy talking about copper this week and he was talking about, you know, the long held um, health benefits of copper as a potential yep. market, which, which is, I think is well understood. You know, people drinking from copper cups and copper bracelets and so forth, but it, it's probably not going to drive the market, I think. And I suspect neither will these air filters. Yeah, I know it does. I mean, copper has these, you know, really good antimicrobial properties. Mm. Silver is the only thing that's better than it. But 
for whatever reason to date it hasn't caught on so i don't know whether whether covid will you know cause more people to find ways to create you know copper copper coatings to be able to make make them uh you know more antimicrobial but uh I think that's a it's a big TBD at this. Point. Um, okay, Mark, but I saw something this week um, with regards to Centaurus in Brazil. I mean, what, what's what's happening there? Because you know, we we talked in the past. There's a lot more M and A activity. There's a lot more news. It's getting nickels getting noticed again. So, what can you tell us about the Centaurus? Yeah, what um, was great there is you know we've talked about sulfide and laterite before, and, and sort of the different sources of supply. You know, and again, the key thing why I'm doing Canada Nickel is there's really very few new sulfide discoveries uh, in the market. So, um, and, and again, there's very few nickel stories and ways for people to invest. So, you know, I, I'm glad to see more and more stories come to market. Um, they published, uh, I think, the week before last, they published uh, their first uh, resource um, since they picked it up, which was just under 50 million tons of nickel, at just over 1%. And again, it's a nickel sulfide project. The the key thing there is, you know, just over one percent, and with a portion of it that's open pitable, is 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 pretty attractive. So, you know, um, you know, I was very glad to see that come to market. Uh, they they picked it up from Valley. They traded another asset for Valley. Valley initially discovered it um, a while back, and it wasn't quite big enough for Valley to move the needle for Valley. Um, but again, there's a lot of room between zero and you know what moves the needle for a forty billion dollar company. So. The, they've been they've been drilling it off. They've got some pretty nice intersections, um, and stringing it together to resource. Because because the one thing that's what's what's tricky with sulfide is, and again, it sort of as a word of caution for investors, you know, any, if you see a new discovery that's got a two or three percent nickel drill hole, that's that's good and that's exciting. Definitely pick it up if it's trading very cheaply. But the challenge with the way a lot of nickel sulfide deposits are structured is you may get a small slice of it. That's you know where, where the material is pooled, that you get a higher grade um, slice through it. Um, but oftentimes, you know that's a very small portion of it, and it's attached to a bunch of a much lower grade nickel. So that when it comes time to do your resource, this three or four percent nickel intersection turns into a you know one percent uh, you know nickel grade that's not very exciting. This is not the case with Centaurus. They, they're coming along with some very very good um, drill holes in the set. It's, it's open pitable. Um, you know, so, you know, we'll see how that one evolves. But but again, you know what? We need new discoveries. Um, we need more nickel. Uh, you know, the auto industry is not going to rely solely on Indonesia to deliver all the nickel it needs. And, you know, the, the biggest problem I hear from a lot of investors is there's just not enough ways to really trade nickel as there is in, you know, copper, gold and silver, where you literally have dozens, if not hundreds of companies to buy. You know, it, it's a pretty small group of companies, uh, you know, that are publicly traded today. OK, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting that it, there's so much attention to this sort of news happening now. Um, actually, it's just like we were meant to be doing this week the Q and A with with people, but I think it's a slight problem at my end. I, I, I'm, I was someone um, didn't quite get round to doing everything they should have, so I apologise. It's our fault uh, that that's happened. Okay. But we have got we have got about half the questions we we we. Uh, wanted but we want to do a proper session with you next week so that's coming up next week but one okay. question which does keep yep. coming up and i think it's maybe just worth spending a few minutes on now given we're talking about sure. um this the, the kind of m a type of activity that's going on where people should be looking the sort of deals that are happening and we do need more nickel in the market yep. is asx versus tsx because you mentioned in the past that asx yep. have uh you know 
they they like nickel deals. They understand nickel deals. Um, what's the difference between an ASX investment and a TSX investment in nickel? Sure. No, that's a good question. So you know what the the key difference is is the bulk of the uh, TSX nickel stocks. So back in two thousand five seven, the last nickel cycle, um, you had uh, Inco, Falconbridge, uh, Lionor, uh, Canico. Um, and several other companies all got acquired. FNX was another company that got acquired during that time frame. So you had, you know, you had a whole set of small, medium, and large size companies that all got acquired. So all of a sudden, in terms of the investable universe for nickel, it, it collapsed down to literally uh, a handful of companies by 2008-9. So, and it you know happened at a time when nickel you know fell out of favor with most investors. So it was like, well. I don't, you know, I don't like nickel that much. There's very few ways to play it on the TSX. So literally, you know, the biggest challenge I had with with RNC and Dumont through the 2010s was, you know, is was trying to, you know, if I could sell an investor on what the long-term nickel story looked like, was, you know, what I'd love to invest in you guys, but you know, you know, you're, there's literally there was us, there was Sherit, um, and there were a couple of other smaller companies. Um, at various stages of exploration and development, you know the total market cap, um, you know, inve- the, the entire market cap that was nickel was was a pretty small number. They said, I just I just can't as a fund manager managing 300, 500 billion dollars, I can't justify the time to spend it on nickel to get, um, you know, to then make a decision about buying a nickel company. On the ASX, you know, there were some acquisitions, but. You know, by and large, you still had, um, you know, Western Mining was the big one that, you know, BHP took out. Um, but you had a very well-developed set of companies. You know, Western Areas has been the long-term, you know, producer in that market. You had Panoramic, Poseidon. Um, you had a bunch of exploration stage companies that had, you know, different deposits. You know, in the in the mid-2010s, you know, I've talked about Sirius Resources before and their Nova Bollinger discovery that, you know, it was literally the last hole of the last campaign. It was trading at you know, 0.2 cents, you know, and then it was a hundred bagger, you know, and again, people tend to remember those. Um, so, so you've always had a very investable set of companies uh, on the ASX, which has now been joined by Nickel Mines, uh, which owns a chunk of, of one of Ching Chan's plants in Indonesia. So again, for Australian investors, they've continued to stay invested in Nickel all through that time frame because it's sort of been a, a large enough investable universe. So, you know, again, why I'm 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 excited to see the Centauruses of the world start to emerge with looks like a pretty interesting deposit, is just we need to you know continue to expand that investable universe to to give investors the full set of options to you know so they're like okay I'm going to learn about nickel and I'm going to you know commit capital to the space because I've got a diff- you know a bunch of different ways I can play it as the story evolves. But the difficult thing for you know the TSX is. You know, you're not seeing management groups going out and being able to find good nickel projects. There, are, there's still literally a few handfuls of nickel companies, and most of them quite early stage. I mean, I know we, we've talked about your company, Canada uh, Nickel Corporation, where you, you know, you've got the world's 11th largest uh, ore body. It's, you know, you, you've you kind of got lucky, lucky in a way, and you're hitting the cycle. Right? I get that, but there's yeah. not a lot of people going to be able to do that just because nickel's sort of on the up now, going out and finding something yeah. is, is really, really hard. Yeah, so the key, I, I mean, I think, you know, what you're starting to see in, in Australia already is you're starting to see a bunch of emerging exploration stories. So again, you know, when a sector starts to come in to, to view, two, two things tend to happen. One, you, you know, you see the money first go to 
uh, cash flow producers. And typically the ones that have the highest torque are the ones that go first, then it sort of spreads out to sort of the, the sort of the, the average producers. Um, and then, you know, sort of once people start to believe, okay, there's a longer term story in place, you'll start to see dollars flow down into the exploration side. So again, like we've seen in the gold market, you know, it took a while, you know, it was all the major gold stories that moved for the first while, you know, and, and all the gold explorers were like, oh, everyone's excited about gold. When am I going to be able to raise $5 million to do some exploration? You know, and over the last two months, we've all of a sudden seen a huge amount of cash starting to get um, invested in the, you know, in earlier stage exploration. You know that's already started to happen in Australia, so you're starting to see a bunch of earlier stage exploration stories um, evolve. And again, you know some of them will work, some of them, you know, a lot, most of them won't. Um, you know that's the, the the joy of early stage exploration. But you know we're at least starting to sow the seeds of having companies that will start to move up the chain. Um, you know, with Canada Nickel, you know, because of the nature of the deposit and, and our experience, we're able to advance it very very quickly uh, there. That's not going to be the case with everybody. Uh, but again, it, you know, those those are the opportunities. If you get in early with the company at a relatively low valuation, you know, it could go to zero, but it also, you know, those are the ones that give you the chance of having those, you know, 10, 20, you know, 50 baggers that we all dream about um, in our portfolio. And I hear about every day, 50 baggers all the way. Um, but, but Thomas, do you think it feels, I'm getting we're interviewing a lot of people. We're interviewing a lot of CEOs, a lot of market commentators. We're actually interviewing a lot of uh, investors as well, actually. We interview investors every week. Um, people are getting excited about mining again, um, partly because the way that the, the rest of the world seems to be uh, imploding with regards to quantitative easing, etc. People are very, very nervous going forward. So precious metals are, are, are doing quite well. But so it seems are a lot of mining commodities at the moment i mean what are you, what are you seeing in terms of conversations that you're having because you know are you having conversations with more generalists coming into the space now um not yet but that's that's that is coming i mean you know th these moves now and again this this momentum trading it's it is those generalists we're starting to deploy capital they say okay you know the central banks are panicked about deflation um given what's gone on with covid and so you know, all of these central banks and all these governments are going to throw huge amounts of money to try and make sure they can reflate their economy um, and, and avoid any kind of you know deflationary pressure. The beneficiary of those are hard assets and 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 um, things like metals and mining. So you know, so there's that one thematic that's you know going to cause more money to slide that way. The the other big thematic that um, you know, will benefit from there is again just relative valuation. You know, um, I remember back I joined Inco in 2001 as head of market research, and we had Morgan Stanley's chief, you know, chief strategist come in and sort of talk about you know long long term cycles and everything like that. And you know, what was fascinating was, you know, literally, you know, uh, again, you know, you know, this this is a pretty common theme in investing generally. You know, the hottest the hottest sector this decade is you know not surprisingly turns out to be the weakest sector you know, the decade following. Uh, but again, it's one of those sort of facts of the market that people just seem to forget every cycle. It's like, you know, oh, I love tech. It's up up a thousand percent. I think it's going to go up another thousand percent. You know, and, and the reality is over the last decade, you know, mining metals has not been a very, you know, very strong performer, you know, relative to the tech sector. So, you know, if you're a generalist, do I want to buy, you know, Apple at, you know, 52 week highs up 100% over the last 12 months or do I want to buy up you know this beaten up stock that's trading at two times you know two times cash flow 
um, that if you know you know commodity prices go anywhere close to what I think I'm going to do, it's going to you know the value is going to go up five or ten x, you know. And then I think the the big guys you know have convinced the larger investors, you know, the BHP Rios, that you know mining's been a horrible destroyer of capital um, over time, which has made it difficult to always have those long term investors stay with you across the cycle. Um, but you know, again, they've been very disciplined to date in terms of starting to return money back to shareholders, which is, you know, why we're actually in business. Um, so, um, you know, so again, I'm hopeful that, you know, as we, you know, this reflation trade happens um, and, you know, the rest of the markets, you know, stays relatively highly valued relative to the mining metal sector that we, you know, we'll start to see, you know, some more money come our way. And again, given the relative scale of these, you know, that's the other thing we really want to point out is, you know, these are massive amounts of money that are deployed in other sectors. And if you even get a small amount of this general generalist money start to be reallocated to metals and mining, it'll just seem like a deluge of 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 capital coming into the sector. It's it, that's, that's exactly the point, because we've been approached by a couple of handfuls of generalist funds looking at yeah. and, and they're, they're looking at the fundamentals of certain commodities. I won't I won't get into it, but. They th they're basically yeah. looking at roll-ups because there's a lot of um, companies who are starved of the oxygen of cash, but the fundamentals of the yeah. the, the business, the commodity, the, the the macro story going forward are there, and maybe it's even the management team aren't up to scratch. And just you know talking to us about the, some of the opportunities in the different commodities, and it's not just the EV thematic here. There's there's some sort of very very unloved sectors which are just throwing off a lot of cash, but um, you know, which you know, I think there's opportunities in too. But um, it, it, it's always interesting to me, and I, I've been saying this over the last two, three weeks, that when you start seeing these generalists who are heavy on cash, light on knowledge, you know something's up. And I think that's that's what I'm yeah. hearing. I would I would I would completely agree. And and again, you know, that's where you know I, you know why do why do you wake up and you go oh geez you know everything. <laughs> Everything has just gone up this much in the last, you know, two weeks. And again, you know, copper prices were up 50, 50 cents again from where we talked, you know, two months ago. Um, you know, and that's a that's a huge move if you look on 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 the charts. You know, and that's happened, you know, you know, on a back of some good Chinese news and, and that COVID's, you know, wasn't as bad in some places, um, you know, outside the United States, um, you know, as some people were expecting. So. It's um, yeah no and, and that's that's what happens. It's just a little bit of generalist money, and a small a small percentage of, of reallocation, and um, you know sectors can really really take off. So again, pick up quality names, pick up quality names at different stages because they'll all they'll all trade differently as as that money comes in. Um, yeah, and, uh, I think that's right. And and I, I said it could be a fun couple of years. Yeah, I think it could be a fun couple of years. But I would say to like retail investors now, as well as doing that, I think li listen out for trends. Listen out for the commodities which people are starting to talk about more and more on on the, on not just the usual supply demand or the next two three years. You know, the, yeah, yeah. Usually, see the, 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 if I see another one of those charts telling me that, spending the first five pages of presentation telling me the the macro thematic. Uh, I just, just it's what people are talking about is some big clues because again, if, if generalists start listening to this, if retail start listening to this, there's this kind of momentum story. We're big fundamentalists, and you know, like you, you know, so we understand that certain commodities operate within upper and lower thresholds and all the rest of it. You know, so that you can get you can get really really cute with it, but I think trends 
is a big part of this, just listening to what's happening, what people are talking about. So not to be ignored. Yeah. If you end up with a pile of expiration company, you know, if you buy 10 expiration companies, you know, again, they could one or two probably may go, but there's a chance you get zero, you're 0 for 10. Right. And, you know, the, man, the commodity prices may have unfolded exactly how you expected and you end up getting, you know, blowing up all your capital. You know, again, you know, it's, you know, buying Rio Tinto or BHP or Glencore is not going to be nearly as sexy. And you can't tell your friends that you got a 10 bagger on Glencore. But, you know, if, if the commodity, if again, if you identify to get the trend right, you know, you know, those companies will benefit, not with the same sort of, you know, leverage. Um, but if you can sprinkle it around, you know, it's just, you, you, you know, you'll be. You know, making money as much as preserving capital as, as choosing winners, right? So, um, yeah, don't, don't, you know, that just would encourage people to try and do that as much as they can. Investing's easy, it really, isn't it? <laughs> not quite. No, I know, I know. Try not to do me, do me stupid things, uh, again, yeah. you know, cycle in, cycle out. So, yeah. You know. Okay. Hey, look, Mark, thanks very much for this week's run through, Nickel. It's kind of helped kind of complete that picture. Um, there's always news in this space, always things moving. So look forward to catching up with you next week uh, and see what's happening. No, that sounds great. We're looking forward to it and looking forward to the question. So uh, yeah, encourage everybody to throw whatever they want to know um, at me. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.